So I've had this topic in mind for a while and it shouldn't come as a surprise because this is the kind of thing that I've been doing since I was little. Um, backwards compatibility and playing old video games. Mm -hmm. I was a teenager and I was already thinking like an old person <laughs> wanting to play old games even though I didn't actually live yeah. to play those games when they came out. I, I don't know why I'm this way. I've always been, like I was 12 and I was already nostalgic for nothing. But I guess <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know why. Uh, but seriously, I was very little and I was trying to find ways to play old Super Nintendo games. I guess I've always been fascinated with the idea of rediscovering old games, rediscovering old stuff. Mm. And there's part of me that maybe like that's the historian in me wanting to do that. But growing up, I've always been fascinated with old games. And what started as a way to uh, find, for example, old consoles, sure, but then also emulators, right? And I told the story before of how Super Metroid for the Super Nintendo, I actually didn't play and finish on a Super Nintendo itself. I finished, I played and finished on a PSP, yeah. on a hacked PSP running SNES 9X, which is a popular Super Nintendo emulator. Uh, but then over time, what started happening was the video game industry got mature enough and I guess a bunch of companies really, they followed the approach of Nintendo and they realized there's money to be made in letting people play old games on new consoles. And so the concept of backwards compatibility it started as a way for people, I think, and Shahid can correct me here, it started as a way for people to say you can carry your existing game library from your previous console to the new one. So that while you wait for uh, new games, a lot of new games to come out, you can still continue to play your old video games. And it's also, you know, and it's always a way for people to play really good titles that came out maybe last year, maybe two years ago, and they still look good and they still play really well and they're still fun to play. But then, in, a, in addition to that idea of your video games keep working, there's also the fact that it's become a way for companies to make money in a bunch of different ways that we, maybe we can analyze. There's the idea of patching an old game for a new console to bring some enhancements, to bring some performance optimizations. There's the idea of re-releasing re re an old game on a new console with some extras, with some major performance improvements, and with some additional content. And then there's what Nintendo does, which is they take old games and they release them again constantly, sometimes even multiple times. <laughs> yeah, Nintendo can't stop with this. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the idea of there's technical backwards compatibility. Yeah. And there's the idea of playing old games. Well, because I guess the other part here is this, I guess what we're not talking about is like remasters and re-releases here so much, right? Right. It's more like the game that was made for the previous platform. Right. On the current platform. What I wanted to discuss today and what I focused on for the past couple of weeks, I've been playing a lot of old games. It's exactly the first part. Not playing remasters and remakes and re-releases, but testing the existing systems on PS5 and Xbox Series S. Unfortunately, I don't have a Series X. Um, testing their current systems for backwards compatibility 
and how does it work mm. when you want to play a PlayStation 4 game or an Xbox, Xbox 360, an Xbox One game on the new Series S console. So before we do, because I know you've played a bunch of games and I want to understand how they play for you, I mm. think it would be interesting to, from from a business perspective, look at backwards compatibility for publishers because uh, like for console makers as well because uh, you know my assumption would be like it is there is a, an element of uh it's nice for people to feel like they continue to get value out of the libraries they've amassed but i also imagine that there is uh, both a good and bad kind of crutch of mm. uh, we haven't got stuff for people to play so at least they can play their old games or we don't have to rush a bunch of games out because there is stuff that people can already play. What do you think about that, Shahid? Like, where, from your knowledge of this stuff, what do you what do you think about backwards compatibility as a console maker would approach? There's a parallel to be drawn with the music and film industries and TV to some extent. Hmm. In that, back catalog has always been an important revenue stream for creators. However, they've both had good enough quality for a very, very long time. And for a long time, that has enabled them to put out exactly the same material, but in a new format, because it hasn't really needed an awful lot of work. Sure, there have been remasters, but the remasters for music, for example, you know, when when you see remastered albums come out on, on high quality formats or with better technology are really easy to do. And it's relatively easy to access the original material from some 24-track, two-inch machine from back in the day, and then digitize it and remaster it. And of course, that becomes easier the more you do it because you're using technology that's quite recent. And even movies too, right? Exactly. Like, like Same it, thing, you know? It's it's it, In some instances, I know that there is work that goes into them, of course, but... I can't imagine it's even nearly the amount of work that needs to go into remastering a video game, which sometimes a remaster means you're making the game again from scratch, right? Yeah, Uh, because, yeah, absolutely, you totally, totally nailed it. I mean, for example, with if you look at audio, right, a 24-inch, 2-inch, sorry, a 24-track, 2-inch tape, which would contain the entire uh, session and all the instruments and so on, would actually be pretty good quality. But the output formats for that quality at the time might not have been that great. They might have been um, cassette and vinyl. And vinyl was good, okay, but only if you had really, really good equipment to listen to it on. More recently, of course, digital has meant the almost complete elimination of background noise. And that's the area where digital technology has helped to improve the signal-to-noise ratio. We just don't have the situation with video games. And one of the reasons is that we've been wiping out old technology for a very, very long time. And the pace of that wipeout, if you like, you know, complete generational shifts has slowed down sufficiently now, I think, over the last decade, where it's not so much of a concern. So there's less of a need to remaster or uh, reboot because games from, say, 10 years ago, if they're using automatic upscaling, are good enough mm. because the gameplay is good enough. It's not mm. like it's not like music where 
it doesn't matter which instruments were being used, it's still recognized as music. With video games, we hadn't developed paradigms yet. We hadn't developed uh, gameplay concepts yet. There was certain forms of gameplay that just weren't around 25 years ago that players expect now. And with music, with movies, it's different. The forms have been established for decades and decades and decades, and they haven't shifted much since then. You know, you, uh, I was uh, browsing YouTube the other day. Not that I do it very much, haha. Uh, <laughs> and there was a, a Rick Beato, um, who's a brilliant teacher, brilliant producer, on YouTube, asking the question, has every possible song been written? Because <laughs> you've got 12 notes. And the thing is, it's a serious question to ask. And of course, the answer is no. There are people always going to find new ways to express themselves. But it does make you think music is obviously a much more limited medium than video games. And movies are a much more limited medium than video games. Mm -hmm. We still have technological breakthroughs that we can make. And we're still seeing current-gen video game technology pushing the bar when it comes to movies and TV. Look at The Mandalorian. That's using Unreal, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, and that... The, the pace of that's only going to continue to accelerate. We've seen some of the advantages in realism that Unreal 5 is going to deliver, the amount of detail that's on offer. But the point is, I think we finally got to a stage now where older games don't suffer because the norms of gameplay, the genres, etc., the the styles have been established and people are willing to overlook technical detail so for example if you think about low poly low poly is now a legitimate graphical style mm -mm. if you think about pixel art pixel art is a legitimate graphical style sure there have been changes and so on there have been improvements if you look at the latest versions of unity for example the amount of um quality that you can put into a 2D pixel title is crazy. You know, you've got 2D shaders, you've got lighting, you've got shadows, you've got um, spline animations and so on. It, the list is just endless and they'll keep adding to that list as well. But what that means is that although 2D production values will increase, players won't feel like they're being robbed if they're still playing an old school 2D game because the form is still recognizable. There's no essential difference. So we're, we're quite used to, uh, used to watching black and white films. We might not watch them often, but you still get situations where people release black and white versions of, of movies. I mean, for example, Parasite. Parasite came out as a black and white version recently. It's because we recognize that's a legitimate form of expression. I'd say black yeah. and white is like the pixel art of movies. And people are absolutely fine with it. It doesn't matter. Art is art. Entertainment is entertainment. The problem with video games has always been that technology has outpaced the conventions. And it took a long, long time for the conventions to become established so that they started to keep pace with the technology. And I think we're there now. We have been for a while. So then for um, backwards compatibility itself, how do you think this is being approached now by PlayStation and Microsoft? Like, why are they including it? And what do they, I think, well, I, I'm interested in, like, what do you think they gain, but maybe also potentially lose and rely, maybe relying on it? Okay, so what they gain, what everybody gains from uh, backwards compatibility is opportunity cost gets reduced. Because 
let's say uh, there are only so many developers in the world and there are only so many really, really good developers. And the developers who made the games that we want, we still want to see have likely moved on to become really respected, huge developers who are capable of creating absolute genius pieces of work. Okay. If you look at, say, let's take Naughty Dog as an example. Mm -hmm. The work they did, say, 10, 15 years ago, is it worth their while? Is it worth their time to take that work and to remaster it? Probably not, right? But is that work still good? Is it still something that you might want to play? Well, yes. I mean, I would still play the first version of Uncharted today. And I don't know if I'd necessarily even want to see a remaster, although a remaster exists. I'm just using it as an example. Jack and Daxter, would I still want to play that today? Uh, that's kind of pushing it a little bit. But if you look at something like Ico, which was a cult title on PS2, yes, I definitely want to play that again today. So the, the problem is with the really old stuff, emulation is, I'd say from about 15 years ago to before, Emulation wasn't established practice at the highest level, at the system level. Now, everyone can do emulation. Emulation is so well covered. The interesting area for me comes when you are able to provide some of the benefits that we've accrued in technology and in gameplay conventions, particularly multiplayer, over the last 10 years. And we can do that automatically without having to do anything other than emulate the original game. There are still developers out there who are specialists at this. I mean, there are some in Spain who are absolutely fantastic at kind of using their even their own emulation engines to repackage stuff. But I think if we start to see more and more of this at the system level, as I believe we are on the current generation of consoles, really weird to call PS5 and Xbox um, Series X and S to some degree, next uh, current generation as opposed to next generation. But here we are. It didn't take long. But yeah, as we start to include the uh, hardware level emulation more and more of current, previous, previous minus previous generations into, into the system, it becomes easier. But it's still not for free. So the problem is you still need people to do the work in many cases if you want to deliver some of the benefits. So I think that the best area for growth right now for, for companies like PlayStation for Xbox and for many publishers and developers to exploit their back catalogs is to have emulation that's provided pretty much for free for any old system, plus the system enhancements and other benefits and features, things like, you know, cross-play and online play and co-op and so on. All of these things that have started to happen, if they can be automatically added to older stuff, um, then that becomes more interesting. I know Nintendo were doing this, and you guys know a lot more about it. They mm -hmm. they had some older games to which they had somehow added online. I never actually tried that. Did either of you try no, that? Was it any no, good? me neither. No, no I, haven't. I, I haven't tried those. Yeah, because I think that was an interesting take on on the whole idea of taking an older game and and dragging it, kicking and screaming to the modern age. I just think that the games that they were choosing were a little too old, and I think they're a bit niche. Whereas if we're talking about much more recent stuff, it makes a lot more sense. And as I say, up to about 10, maybe 12 years ago at a push, because then we're talking about the early days of PS3 and Xbox 360, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's the point at which we started to get games that were worth preserving for the mass market. 
And I yeah. think other games are worth preserving for, for niche markets, like for the likes of Federico, and even for me, to some extent, I, I do like my uh, retro consoles. I got this little thing, I can't even remember what it's called, but it's from some manufacturer without a name. Uh, no, it has got a name, Anbanik or something, and it can play just about any old format. It's got a SNES emulator, it's got a MAME emulator, Amiga emulator, right. the lot. And I love playing the old games on it. But I do not like to play them for more than a few minutes of a t- at a time. And it's because those games are now feeling like they lack the affordances that I've become really comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's also the problem that I've noticed in my, in my experiments with the Xbox. Um, th- there's almost like an invisible threshold when it comes to certain... It's the little things, certain quality of life features that you start seeing in the 360 era and i'm talking about simple things like being able to pause a cutscene or being able to <laughs> skip a cutscene or yeah. um, the, the way the checkpoints work and the way that autosave works yeah and in fact the only i would say not a bad time but you know, the games that I was only able to test for a few minutes were the original Xbox ones. So we're talking 2002, 2003, titles like Ninja Gaiden, for example, uh, Panzer Dragoon Orta by Sega on Xbox, on the original Xbox. And those titles, even though they are automatically upscaled and they look nice and they have auto HDR, all the things we're going to talk about in a few minutes, it's the way that they were designed with those they miss those little affordances those little quality of life features that we're so used to have now we take them for granted and then when you try an old game in practice you're like wait i cannot skip a cutscene even though <laughs> i just lost and i saw the cutscene before no you can't because 20 years ago i mean we're talking about 18 19 years ago that was not either technically possible or it was not one of those things that developers thought you wanted to have. Mm. And so now that I'm playing those games again, I'm like, yeah, well, I can see myself playing, you know, a 360 title in its entirety, like what I'm doing at the moment for one of them. But these older ones, I just want to test them for a few minutes. I don't think I will be able to play the entire game 20 years later without those nice things surrounding the experience. Yeah, so where we draw that year zero for this was the year at which games were good enough that future generations will universally like them, I think will vary from person to person. For the likes of us, I think we are talking about the beginning of the PS3 and Xbox 360 era. Yeah. Uh, but but for others, it might go a bit further, but that becomes more and more niche. It's a bit like those people who today still want to watch the original Hitchcock stuff. That's a smaller audience than the people who say want to buy the complete Aliens box set and want to see the first um, Alien, which was what, 1976, 77, that sort of time. Or might have even been earlier, actually. No, I think it was 76, 77, that sort of time. Was it later? Do not know. It's a long time ago, right? We're just going to have to say that you got that right. No, I didn't get it right. I'm sure I didn't. I'm, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the old guy. You, you've got the historical perspective <laughs> because you grok it all at your very young age. Um, but my, my point is, the audience for Alien box sets is much bigger than the audience for Hitchcock 
box sets. Um, and and the further back you go, the more niche that becomes. And I think it's the same for games because movies also had their conventions that started to take shape. And it also gets split down by genres. So some genres developed their gaming conventions and affordances later than others, and then they started to merge. And I think that merge point was the beginning of the PS3, Xbox 360 generation. I could be wrong. I'd love to be corrected on on that, but I think that's the point at which things started to become bearable mm-hmm. and things became a lot more interesting around the PS4 and Xbox One era. And now I think we're finally at a point where the current stuff, the load times are becoming very bearable. So things are just going to keep on improving, but the actual games themselves are going to become better. And the other thing to bear in mind, of course, is that modern consoles, current gen, they allow us to enjoy the single biggest benefit, I think, of enjoying the older games is we don't have to wait for levels to load as long as we used to. Mm-hmm. That in itself is, I think, a big um, quality of life change, as you put it, Federico. It absolutely is, and you can tell when you're not when you're playing a game that is not uh, optimized for those shorter loading times, like is, usually happens with emulation, for example. Um, there's such a stark contrast between, uh, say, for example, playing Final Fantasy VII Remake which I'm doing on, on PS5, it's a PS4 title, and you do benefit from slightly shorter loading times, but then when you play Spider-Man uh, Miles Morales on PS5, and you have a much more graphically complex game with a bigger open-world map, and you travel from a, lo- a location on the other side of the city to another, and it's like it takes you three seconds, you're like, well, <laughs> now I can tell that this is a PS5-optimized op- game that mm. really takes advantage of the new architecture. So um, that that's definitely one of the things that, uh, I mean, you do get to an extent with backwards compatibility, but playing a native PS5 game, it's a whole other story, I think. So what has been your experience of playing some of these games so far? Mm. Okay, so I think the the whole story is a lo- is a lot more interesting if only from a technical standpoint on Xbox just because of what Microsoft is doing the sheer extent of what they're doing which is any Xbox game going all the way back to the original Xbox uh, including the 360 uh the Xbox One family um can be played on the new Series S and Series X uh there's some differences between what the two consoles can do they mostly come down to 4K upscaling, uh, which only the Series X can do. And I'm going to oversimplify here the whole thing because I don't want to get into numbers and just rehashing what Digital Foundry has already explained. So we're just going to put those links in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But essentially, any Xbox game, you can go to the Xbox Marketplace, you can purchase in 2021 a game from 2003. (laughs) You're going to pay that something like $7, and you're going to download that game on your Xbox Series S or Series X, and it's going to play. That's the gist of it, is you can play anything you want. Because Microsoft created these... uh, They already started doing this with the Xbox One family. They have expanded upon it with the the Series S and X. Um, They created this entire engine for emulating old Xbox games and making sure that you can play those, including games that include uh, that, that feature Xbox Live functionality. It's not perfect, as I'm going to explain in a few minutes, but it mostly works. Um, so original Xbox and 360 games on the Series S, 
they get upscaled to 1440p. So you have effectively like a 3x boost on both axes. Are uh, you going from a 40, um, 480p game to a 1440p game? So it looks pretty good on a 4K TV. And uh, what you don't get are the announcements that some Xbox 360 games received on the Xbox One X. So some of those old Xbox 360 titles received specific announcements for 4K upscaling. Uh, so native 4K, not 1440p, uh, on the Xbox One X two years ago. Now, only the Xbox Series X can do 4K upscale and higher quality textures for those games. The Series S features the same other performance improvements, but it cannot do native 4K. It's limited to 1440p. Uh, similarly, with uh, Xbox One X, so I know that it gets confusing because of Microsoft's naming scheme. Uh, Xbox One games, which of course you can also play on the Series S and Series X, some of them, if you remember, um, they received over the years Xbox One X announcements. Uh, on the Microsoft Store, you can see the label uh, optimized for Xbox One X, which is still around. Um, same story with emulation. Those enhancements, they only carry over to the Series X. So if a game uh, was hardcoded to run at, say, nine, uh, 900p on the Xbox One, the Series S will not upscale it. The Series X will take whatever... 4K optimizations those games featured in the transition from Xbox One to Xbox One X, and it will emulate it just fine. Okay. So there's a difference in terms of what resolution is supported. And uh, what you should know is if you want to get the best possible emulation with any potential 4K upscale, upscaling and higher quality textures, then you should get the Series X. Um, where it gets interesting is, is that other features that other really nice optimizations that Microsoft is doing are supported both on the Series X and the much cheaper Series S. So Auto HDR, which is an incredible feature. Uh, Microsoft uh, has created this machine learning-based algorithm that takes older games, again, from almost 20 years ago when, when HDR on consumer televisions did not exist, let alone on video game consoles, and it uses machine learning to bring HDR to, do, to those video games. And it works both on the Series S and the Series X. And most of the time, it looks pretty incredible. Again, you take Panzer Dragon Orta, or I think my favorite demo by far is Geometry Wars 2 from the Xbox 360. And the moment you start the game, if you have an HDR TV, it just switches on HDR automatically. You don't have to do anything. And Geometry Wars 2, the colors are just incredible with Auto HDR turned on. Uh, I remember because I used to play Geometry Wars 2 on an actual Xbox 360 over a de decade ago, and now the colors are just popping on, on, on my HDR uh, OLED TV. It's just, it's really incredible what Microsoft is doing. And again, go check out the explanation for how this works in the Digital Foundry report that we have in the show notes. So that's one, one of the things that both the Series S and the Series X can do equally well. The other one is 
both the X and the S, they can enhance the frame rate of Xbox One games. So what you're looking at here is essentially uh, games that maybe used to struggle to keep a constant uh, 60 frames per second rate, or even uh, in some cases a uh, 30 frames per second um, rate, depending on whether you wanted to play with performance or um, you know graphical fidelity in in your system settings, in your game settings. Uh, but now the Series X and the Series S can uh, reliably hit either 30 frames or 60 frames, again, depending on the settings that you choose for any given game. Um, another new thing that Microsoft announced uh, a few days ago, so this is not yet available on the, uh, on the new Xbox Series S and X. And in fact, I'm not sure whether it will be supported equally on the two types of consoles. It's this new feature called FPS Boost. Um, this will double the frame rate of old Xbox One titles. So not just um, maintaining the level that you set in your settings, but actually doubling that. So effectively forcing 60 frames or 120 frames for some games. This is coming out soon. Uh, there's a list of titles that will support this at launch, including Far Cry 4, Watch Dogs 2, and uh, New Super Lucky's Tale. Um, so this is coming out at some point in a system update for the Xbox Series S and X. And it's, I'm really curious to see how this works because mm -hmm. you're effectively doubling whatever was possible before. So uh, some downsides that I've noticed before I talk about some of the games that I've played. Um, Instant Resume, which is one of the best features of the Xbox Series S that allows you to jump between multiple open games without having to close and reopen a single game like you got to do on PS5. It doesn't work for Xbox, original Xbox and Xbox 360 games. Um, every time I was switching between those and opening, say, an Xbox One title or an Xbox Series S title, the older uh, game uh, was closed in the background. Similarly, remote play, you cannot use it for older uh, titles. Uh, I really wanted to play Final Fantasy XIII via remote play on my iPad, but it's not possible. Did, uh, remote is there play, any particular reason for that? Some people on the internet claim that it's due to rights rather than technology itself. Okay. It doesn't really make sense, though, that like you're connecting to your own console. So, and there's no official explanation other than these titles do not support remote play. Hmm. And lastly, uh, I mentioned um, Xbox Live compatibility. So, when you play an Xbox 360 title on an Xbox Series S, uh, you gotta press a combination of buttons if you want to see the old and original Xbox 360 dashboard UI. Um, you remember the Blades menu on the 360 that allowed you to switch between these vertical tabs for your Xbox Live profile, your gamer tag, all of that stuff? Uh, you got to press a bunch of buttons on the Series mm -hmm. S if you want to bring, bring up that old UI, which, fun fact, UI elements do not get upscaled. Those are blurry and pixelated, but the, ga the game's graphics, they get upscaled. It's quite the contrast when you see it on screen. That's weird. Uh, it's weird. It's it's I like I get it. They are optimizing the graphical assets of the game, not the UI elements, but it's still weird. Um 
So uh, some titles that rely uh, that used to rely on Xbox Live for cloud saves, again, Final Fantasy Thirteen is one of them. Um, I got stuck a couple of times in a situation where even though my Xbox console was connected to the internet, um, it kept saying that my Xbox 360 profile was not logged in. <laughs> so I had to turn off my Xbox. I lost my save data and I had to uh, restart the game from a couple of checkpoints before uh, because there was that weird glitch. Uh, with the hmm. not signing into my Xbox 360 gamer tag page, whatever. Um, so, what the uh, as I mentioned before, I tried Ninja Gaiden, I tried Panzer Dragon Orta. These are original Xbox ga- Xbox games. They get upscaled to 1440. They support Auto HDR. The problem there is, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, um, they don't have the game design sensibilities of our generation. And so Ninja Gaiden, for example, you you die, you got to restart the whole level. Checkpoints are incredibly rare and scattered throughout each stage. It's not the kind of game that I want to play in 2021. I, I, don't, I don't have the time for that. And similarly, Panzer Dragonora, um, you cannot skip cutscenes, you cannot pause cutscenes. They are games from a different era. And you can tell. The game that I've been playing a lot, and I'm actually six or seven hours into, Final Fantasy XIII. So this is uh, potentially the most criticized Final Fantasy title in the entire series. And I understand why. It's not just that uh, they they are using this futuristic setting that is very unusual. Well, I guess before Final Fantasy XV was very unusual. It's a very linear game in that there's effectively no world map and all you do is walk down a bunch of, uh, I don't want to say hallways, but (laughs) you're basically just walking down a pre-configured route. Um, There's no exploration there's no, you know, there's no overworld that you can visit uh. and go. There's no towns. There's no, like, it, it did, that game did away with a bunch of conventions at the time and, uh, and people didn't like it. Mm. The thing about it is, it's a beautiful game. The story, because they, they, they focus, by getting rid of the exploration and the world map and, you know, that sort of a open world-like approach, um, Square Enix, they focused on two things, the battle system and the story. And I guess, yes, of course, the graphics. So it's a beautiful game. I love the design. The story is like it captures you right away. It's, uh, it's, it's got that film quality to it. That it's, it's a very good story. It's a very interesting story. And the battle system, I think it has to be one of my favorites so far. It, and I've played a bunch of Final Fantasy games. This was missing from my collection it's a it's based on active time battle which is a system that square enix developed over the years it's really well done it's really uh, intuitive but also deep at the same time um and yeah i'm i'm having a really good time with it playing on xbox series s uh two things i want to mention it looks absolutely beautiful like auto hdr and 1440p upscale on this game it looks fantastic it could 
set aside for some low-quality textures, it could easily pass for a last-gen game, not a game from uh, 11 years ago, two generations of consoles ago. It's absolutely stunning. Uh, and, and that comes down, yes, to upscale, yes, to auto HDR, but it also confirms how, in a lot of cases, it's really the artistic direction of a game. I will say that a game that tries to that tried in in its past to achieve photorealism say 10 years ago, 12 years ago wouldn't look as nearly as good with auto HDR and uh, 1440 or 4K upscale today as a game like Final Fantasy 13 does. And that's because it's not trying to be photorealistic. It just, it's just trying to be its own beautiful game. And because of that, you don't have that uncanny valley problem. You just get a beautiful game that now looks even better on a 4K TV with HDR. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I'm having a really good time with 13. I understand why, I understand why a lot of people criticize this game. I'm not sure I'm going to finish this game, but I want to play a bunch, if only to understand what it's all about. And uh, as a reminder, this is the only Final Fantasy title that received not one, but two sequels, uh, Final Fantasy XIII-2 and Lightning Returns, which is the third one. We were shocked when Final Fantasy X-2 was announced, but thirteen actually received two sequels. I don't understand Final Fantasy. Well, Like, especially the numbering. Look, you're you're not alone. A, a lot of well, there's a level beyond Final Fantasy and numbers, which is Kingdom mm. Hearts, and you don't want to get into that. Okay. <laughs> you don't want to get into Kingdom Hearts and how the numbers work. Um, but overall, I think the 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 Xbox, well, the the current Series S is really my favorite machine for backwards compatibility. Because it's so easy, because I think it's wild that you can go to the Microsoft Store, buy the digital version of an original Xbox game in 2021, wait a few minutes, and play that game on your console with a 4K TV. I think it's Mm -hmm. just incredible as a concept. And they delivered on it with a whole suite of technical innovations, right? that I think it's just incredible what Microsoft is doing here on two fronts for, for game preservation. I think it's just fantastic what they're doing and to serve their own interests, right? Because there's going to be a niche of people who want to give Microsoft money to play old games, even though they probably played them already 20 years ago. And uh, yeah, so I'm having a really good time on the Series S and I continue to second guess my decision not to get the Series X, I don't feel particularly bad about it because it's still out of stock in Italy. What benefits would you have from the Series X that you don't get with the S? Well, For, for, for playing, especially older games. Well, for older games, it would be 4K, native 4K oh, upscale right, instead okay. of 1440p. Yeah. And for current-gen games, um, well, yeah. it depends, right? Depends. Um, some games are not going to have... I think ray tracing will be supported on the Series S, but it looks like only the Series X will be able to do something like 
native 4K and 60 frames mm-hmm. all the time for all games. So yeah, it's we'll like see. a lot of this stuff. It's like there's three features. Choose which two. Yeah, exactly. You want yeah. at any given time. Yeah, but for emulation, this tiny little console that can play any Xbox game, incredible. There's some downsides, but overall, I'm having a really good time. And I mean, I played seven hours of Final Fantasy 13 in 2021. I think that's pretty awesome. PS5. Okay. So the situation is a lot easier on PS5. Um, It's only backwards compatible with the PS4. It supports not all, but basically every major, like over uh, 4,000 PS4 titles are playable on PS5. There's the list of games that are not supported on PS5. I believe it's less than 30 games or something like that. It's, and those games are not quite frankly important. So every PS4 game you can run on PS5. Um, The only thing we know, which is on Sony's website about PS5's backwards compatibility is there's a feature called Game Boost and Game Boost, it lets older games run with a higher or smoother frame frame rate. Um, This is a section on the Sony website. Um, But really, what what I was interested to, to see was a couple of things. What happens to games that didn't receive any particular optimization for PS5 whatsoever? So what if you take a vanilla PS4 game and you play that on PS5 uh, without any patches, without any optimizations for, for the new console. And the other side of the equation, what, I, what is it like to play games with Game Boost and games that have received specific optimizations for PS5? Um, I have two examples of each that I've been playing. The Last of Us Part Two. I finally started playing this game a few days ago in preparation preparation for this episode. Now, the rumors are saying that there's a proper PS5 patch in the works for The Last of Us Part 2. But that's still a rumor. Mm. For now, um, three things I've noticed. The loading times... I watched a a bunch of videos on YouTube to get a comparison of the loading times between PS4 Pro and and PS5 are slightly shorter on PS5. Again, no surprise, you're running a game off of an SSD. So even though it's emulated, you're still getting some of the benefit of that architecture on on PS5. Um, I haven't observed any issue with frame rate, uh, you know, dipping over 25 or 30 FPS, even in the more chaotic situations with a lot of, uh, I don't remember the name, the infected, a lot of uh, of infected, uh, you know, the clickers. Is that what they're called? Well, clickers are are a type of infected. Um, right. Okay. Yeah, but not not even in the more chaotic situations. Frame rate was stable and smooth. Really good time with it. Um, what's kind of strange is that it appears that Naughty Dog was able to take advantage of some haptic feedback on the Dual Sense. Even though the game, again, it's still not technically optimized for PS5. So what I noticed personally was when I was riding the horse, I could feel the horse's gallop in the dual sense. And it wasn't regular vibration. It was the 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 new haptic feedback that they're doing on the dual sense. And it was a very nice feeling. You could literally feel the horse uh, when you were riding it on the controller. And other people on the internet, I was 
browsing around forums and some reviews for The Last of Us, it appears that some weapons may be using the, ad the adaptive triggers as well. Uh, some people were saying the bow, for example, when you when you when you're trying to shoot with with a bow, you can feel the string. What's it called? The string uh, sure. in the in the trigger. Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to test that because I have not unlocked the bow yet in the game. Um, so I thought that, that was that was fascinating. Uh, that even though it's still not technically optimized for PS5, they were able to do a few nice things for the controller. The other non-optimized game that I'm loving so far, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Mike was surprised a few months ago when he discovered that I still hadn't started the game. Mm -hmm. I have now started the game. I'm loving the game. I'm obsessed with it. I want to finish the game as soon as possible. Um, now, you should know, once again, actually this came out today as we record the show. Uh, there's a rumor going around that uh, Square Enix may be preparing... And this is interesting. Not a patch, but a new edition of the game, including specific support for PS5. So the rumor is saying they're going to release Final Fantasy VII Remake Ever Crisis, which is a new edition that for PS5, it will include 4K, 60 frames per second, ray tracing, and DualSense support uh, for, I guess, adaptive triggers and, and haptic feedback. Um, I will be very upset if this happens and I will not be able to carry over my save data to the new edition. In any case, uh, this is a vanilla PS4 game that does not offer any PS5 optimization whatsoever. Um, it looks incredible, still. Um, the, sh the loading times, again, are much shorter than uh, what you get on PS4 Pro. And uh, it runs locked at 30 uh, frames per second. Um, so it's not as smooth as a 60 frame uh, per second title. But again, this is uh, in this case, it's the art direction that really counts. And this game, it defied my expectations for how good the Final Fantasy remake could look. It looks just incredible. The lighting effects, the, the, the looking at uh, Midgar from below and from above, uh, which is the main city of the game, it's just fantastic, and and I was presently surprised by the battle system as well because it's a mix of uh, real time action and uh, not turn based uh, necess necessarily, but you can pause the action to issue commands, basically, which it's a very nice mix, uh, and it made more sense to me than the pure action-oriented uh, battle system of uh, Final Fantasy XV, which I really didn't like, and I thought it was very confusing. This one clicked with me right away. So, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, and I'm playing this one with a disc, uh, actually. And one of, the, one of the downsides of PS4 backwards compatibility, you cannot install a disc-based PS4 game to your PS5's internal drive. So every time you want to play a PS4 game, if you have the disc version of it, you got to put in the disc. You cannot install it to your SSD. Well, I think that's the same with every PlayStation game. Even though they install, you need to put the disc in to play them. That's too bad. Well, okay. I guess I, I didn't know because I purchased all my games from yeah. the PS Store. All right, so... Two examples of PS5 optimized games. 
both of them I'm really liking, and this uh, one of them I'm picking up from a few months ago when I stopped playing. I started playing Ghost of Tsushima. This is the game from Sucker Punch that came out uh, came out on PS4 last year. Uh, this game was updated to take advantage of game boost as well as the option to uh, sup- to run at a higher resolution and 60 frames per second at the same time. Before, you had to pick one of the two. Now you can enable both at the same time. Uh, it's not native 4K. According to a digital foundry analysis, it's a weird resolution, like 1800p for whatever reason. But, I mean, it still looks incredible, and it's locked at 60 frames per second, thanks to Game, uh, to game Boost on PS5. And obviously, they also updated the game to have much, much shorter loading times than on PS4. And let me tell you, this, this game on PS5, it looks like a current-gen game, and it looks incredible. It has to be one of the... Together with God of War, which I'm going to talk about in a, in a few minutes, together with God of War, this has to be one of the best-looking games that I've ever seen on PlayStation. It's it's the atmosphere. It's yeah, the quality of the graphics, but it's really the atmosphere, the the sense of exploring, you know, medieval Japan. The it's the forests and the direction of the wind, and it's the reflections on on your armor, on your blade. It's it looks fantastic, and at sixty frames, uh, traveling with the horse throughout the whole uh, Isle of Tsushima, it's really incredible experience it looks fantastic Mm. on ps5 uh i'm having a really good time with it i'm about i would say 20 hours into the game so i'm having a really good time uh it's it's an open world game so but it's a it's a i will say it's a bearable type of open world game like it's not yeah there's a lot of side quests there's a lot of uh, additional stuff but it's not nearly as bad as a ubisoft game which is why I can also play this game. Right. And lastly, God of War. So God of War received, I believe last week or two weeks ago, uh, the Enhanced Performance Experience Update for PS5. So I stopped playing God of War last year because I got busy with iOS 14 and WWDC, I think. Uh, Now, on PS5, with this update, what you can do is you can play at um, 4K checkerboard resolution, so 2160p resolution and 60 frames per second. Uh, Before, on PS4 Pro, you could run the game at 60 frames, but really it often dipped below that uh, to 45, 50 uh, frames per second. And the game was limited to 1080p resolution. So now you can do 4K checkerboard and actual 60 frames per second. I played for a couple of hours today to get up, you know, catch up to speed with the game, see where I left off. And I actually left off in a pretty amazing point in the story, so I was happy that I that I picked it back up. My God, it looks just incredible on PS5. Uh, 4K, 60 frames for this type of game, which is the kind of action game where you can have like uh, 15 to any enemies around you all swinging their blades or throwing arrows or bombs at you or charging you 
all the while you have this beautiful world around you, right? It looks just fantastic. Like I uh, go, if you can go watch some videos on YouTube for people who captured footage, um, this game with HDR, 2160p and 60 frames per second on a PS5, it's uh it it it's a it's a lot to look at. It's 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 absolutely absolutely beautiful. Um so hmm. if you happen to have an old copy of God of War or or just if you have a digital version, re-download it on PS5. I, I and I'll also say, like it's not and I haven't played the game, but I was on my PlayStation the other day, and because I'm a PS plus member, it was previously a PS plus game. Ah yes. So I could just download it. So I downloaded it. I've been meaning to to check it out. Yeah, yeah. So I it, it looks just fantastic. So all this to say, I'm gonna leave the Last of Us Part Two uh, for when I'm finished with these other three games. God of War. I think I'm toward the end of the game, given what just happened in the story. Um, but in between Ghost of Tsushima, Final Fantasy VII Remake. And the God of, God of War with the PS5 update, playing old games on PS5, it's pretty amazing too. Obviously, it's not nearly as fun as on Xbox because you're limited to the PS4 catalog and you don't have the, those wild things that Microsoft is doing like, hey, take any Xbox game and enjoy it in 4K with HDR, even though mm. for neither 4K nor HDR existed 20 years ago. So it would be cool if Sony were ever to consider that. However, I guess Sony may be prioritizing things like streaming with PlayStation Now, for example. Uh, so you can, mm. you can play older games, but they don't get those kinds of optimizations. So two different kinds of backwards compatibility on one and Microsoft with the technical stuff, right? With all those technical optimizations that are super cool to see in the whole Xbox catalog of games. On the other, a more, a more limited approach. But man, those games are just incredible. I would say, as always, it doesn't surprise me that as a gamer, I gravitate toward you know, the kinds of titles that I that I can find on PlayStation, God of War, Last of Us, Final Fantasy VII Remake. But on the other, on like the the game, uh, you know, for for game preservation and the technical stuff, I'm very fascinated by Microsoft and Xbox. In an ideal state, there would be you know both uh, Sony would do what Microsoft is doing, I guess. But right now, I just wanted to talk these two different approaches because they are different but equally valid at the same time.